Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. If tonight's movie night is just what you need, make it special with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Like the fact that like, I, I never look for parking. I don't, you know what I mean? It may take me a couple minutes, but like I always park near my destination. It's just little things where I just feel like my folks are taking care of me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know you what I mean? Whole, you got a whole squad sort of coming together to make sure that them cars move when they need to. Right, and we all can, you know what I mean? Like this is something that we, <laughs> we can, can all we, we can avoid all looking for parking if you talk to your ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. There it is. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another phenomenal episode of My Mama Told Me, the podcast where we dive deep, deep into the pockets of black conspiracy theories. And we finally work to prove that race relations in this country will never be solved until Wes Anderson exclusively starts making movies starring Clifton Powell. That's right. We need the whitest filmmaker and the blackest star of every BET Plus film to come together and solve what is broken in this country. It's the only way, folks. I'm your host, Langston Kerman, as always. Coming at you hot, baby. Coming in spry. I'm feeling good today, baby. I got I got a, a, a nice little, I got some pepper in my step. You know what I mean? I got I got some some oomph. A little chutzpah, you know. I, I'm I'm excited because my guest today, she is a person who deserves respect. 
most of the people I have on this podcast are absolute idiots. They're fools. They're they're clowns who, who just say silly things. But she's a person who says very important things and thoughtful things. She's careful with the language that she uses. She's a journalist. She's a, a cultural critic. And more importantly, she has a podcast called Mom and Dad Are Fighting. It's a, a parenting podcast. You know her. You love her. Please give it up for my guest, Miss Jamila Lemieux. Hi. Hey, thank you for doing this. Thank you for having me. Hell yeah, it's going to be fun. This is, uh, I, 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 you heard it in the intro. We mostly have comedians on, so it's always a, a beautiful treat when somebody who uh, takes themselves a little more seriously is here to help enlighten us in a way that a bunch of my dumb friends can't. My career is such a great facade for how not serious I take myself. And certainly none of my friends take me very seriously. Like the fact that I would get that sort of intro in my friend circle is like a what the fuck moment to this day because oh, I, am, really? I am the joker. I'm the silly one. I'm oh, the fun damn. friend. So it, yeah. So I came. Oh, well, I'm hugely disappointed now. <laughs> you should be because I came <laughs> adequately unprepared too. I, I did no research. I just Great. showed up. Oh, that's beautiful. I you, here. This is always my fear whenever uh, a journalist comes on is that you guys do my my presumption of the work that you do is you're constantly doing research and so my fear is that my my very inadequate research is only going to disappoint you but now that I know you didn't even do anything I feel like I'm going to be I'm going to be thriving throughout this episode you've got this hell yeah I <laughs> I'm excited so you came with a conspiracy theory that I'm super excited about because we don't touch on the paranormal, in my opinion, often enough. It, it doesn't come up as often as you might think in this podcast. But you said, my mama told me. Black people don't see ghosts. So to be fair, that's not what I said. Uh-oh. I was presented a list of conspiracy theories to consider if I didn't have one of my own. Yeah. And all the ones I have were not fun at all. You know what I mean? Like, it's sure. like I don't know that we could really, I mean, I guess we could probably have a great conversation about the Popeye's causing sterilization or church's chicken <laughs> causing sterilization <laughs> rumor that rocked the nineties. But like, how much can we say about that? But I thought that this one was really interesting because I'd never heard it before. And so I thought maybe this was something you were familiar with. So I wanted to hear from you about black people not hearing or not seeing ghosts, because I think I have a counterpoint to that. Oh, shit. I might disprove this conspiracy that I was not familiar with until so wait producer a producer told me minute. about it. You're telling me <laughs> that you selected this just so you could flip it on the head and tell me why I'm stupid? How dare you, ma'am? How dare you? <laughs> Isn't that what cultural commentators do for a living? <laughs> yes. And I don't care for that at all. No, I I write a lot of silly things down. But I do think years ago, I used to do this bit about having lived with a, I lived with a white woman for a few years and she was a, a like an avid believer in like ghosts and, and the, the, I, the fact that our apartment was haunted. And she used to tell me there was like a ghost in our apartment all the time. And we lived in fucking, where were we living? We were living in Crown Heights at the time on Eastern Parkway. So it's like, nah, you don't get to you don't get to play ghost games over here when we like are amongst all these Jamaican people. You know what I mean? Like, Did you bring her to Crown Heights? We went there together. It was okay. it was a joint decision. I didn't go like, let me bring this white bitch to Crown Heights and see what happens. It was 
we were moving from Boston. We both needed uh, a roommate and, and we we teamed up to, to make that shit happen. You came from Boston and thought the safest thing for your Black life that matters was to move to Crown Heights, <laughs> Brooklyn with a white woman. No, no, no. I thought the cheapest thing for my Black life <laughs> oh. was to move to Crown Heights with a white woman. I didn't think it was safe the moment we showed up. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you realized that you were not, in fact, safe the entire time that you were. Oh, uh, no. I know, when it, I know when a McDonald's is haunted. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, our apartment was fine. <laughs> but everything else around that community was not doing well. It's, I guess, better now. I don't know. Crown, I mean, I, I lived in New York probably around the same time. I loved Crown Heights then. But I can just imagine it would have been a difficult place for the two of you all to navigate or not. I don't know. I feel like they leave white women alone. It probably might have been harder for me to walk around over there with them niggas than for her. <laughs> they might have just stepped out yeah. of her way since she didn't call the police. Right. I, I feel like, uh, and we were like, we were on like Crown Heights. We were on like Eastern Parkway in Troy. So like we oh, were, I know exactly where you we were. were moving into sort of like where it becomes that Hasidic side of things. Mm-hmm. So I think for a white woman over there, they're like, all right, we can make sense of of why you're here. Right. Whereas like other I look like an outsider no matter what ain't what direction I go into. So it was just a bunch of niggas looking at me weird and mean for no reason all day. No, there's always been. But every black community has always had their guy in a cardigan. <laughs> I want to be special so bad. You ain't the first nigga went to college, okay? No. They've seen you before, even ah, from they've Boston. Seen it. That don't mean they like it. <laughs> motherfuckers, motherfuckers still have opinions, even though they they're familiar with it. Well, okay. So, so that said, she was an avid believer in ghosts, and I think, and I'm curious to hear where you are with this whole thing. I think that ghosts, personally, I do believe that people see what they see. That, like, if you believe in ghosts, you probably are going to see ghosts. That said, I do think that there's a weird conflation that white people do sometimes with scary sounds and and sort of, like, odd objects or experiences with what is probably a human experience outside of their their cultural norm, if that makes sense. Okay, so I'm going to sound super hotep hat. I just already know. Hold on. So that's how they get you. <laughs> uh, but that's how they get you. This is seriously how white people try to get you, for real. But shout out to one of my favorite podcasts, A Little Bit of Juju, uh, and the host, Juju Bag. She articulated this in a way that really kind of helped me to make sense of it. So what are ghosts, right? Those are mm. dead people, right? People that used to be dead. So that's your grandparents. That might be one of your, you know, friend. We're, we're grown friends. You know what I mean? Like people yeah. we've known. Were they cars? Were they monsters? So why do we have this negative idea when we think of ghosts? You know, we think of people or spirits that have been here before, you know, and I get part of it is just popular culture has glamorized or, you know, there've been a lot of movies and TV shows and books that center around the idea of a haunting or somebody coming back with a bad, you know, intention or not wanting to do something good. And then there's, you know, videos and, and, uh, books and, you know, even when you're a little kid about ghosts coming back to do good things, but it's still right. kind of like this weird being that's outside of you. It's not aspirational. In fact, it's usually kind of portrayed as if these spirits are stuck, 
You know, like they shouldn't be able to talk to you. They shouldn't be in the house, right? Even Casper is a a boy who wishes he wasn't dead. He's nice, but he's like, fuck, I wish I was still kicking it. Right. And so where in some of the African traditions that we were stolen from, our ancestors communicated with ancestors, right? With people who had gone on to the other side. You saw it Mm -hmm. depicted in Black Panther, right? On some level. And I guess that's most people's kind of mainstream introduction to to that level of, of, of ancestral veneration, right? The idea that like, I respect and I care for and I talk to my ancestors. So like, right. So to me, when I think of ghosts or people that were here, like those are my ancestors. And like, I do have a communication with them because I talk to them and I set out food for them. I have an altar set up in my house. I've gone full California woo-woo girl in the past two years. But it's like the most powerful thing that I've ever done. And I think it's something that Black people need to tap into and white people need to tap in and, and other folks who haven't. Find out what your ancestors did and tap into that. I have a lot of white blood in me. I'm curious. At some point, I'm going to figure out like, okay, well, what did my ancestors on that side? What were their spiritual rituals? I hope it wasn't killing Black people. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> it probably was. It might have been. <laughs> you know, but like, what were the things they did to honor their ancestors and their dead? And like, I think that that's something that we should, as, as African-Americans, we have not been taught that. You know, like in church, you're taught the spirits are bad. In the movies, you're taught they're scary these are your people set out you know your grandma's favorite candy bar and a glass of water and a white candle for her you know it doesn't have to be something super involved or crazy start small but start talking to your ghost start talking to your ghost is is what you're telling me but I, i have so many questions because this is a completely new idea to me right i've never i've never once been encouraged to talk to any ghosts in fact, I, I think I've always functioned under the presumption that if I do not talk to them, they will not bother me and we, we, can, we can live at peace amongst each other, right? Mm-hmm. So what am I meant, what is this candle meant to do? Like, is, is this just a way of initiating the conversation? And at the point that I've initiated it, are they coming to me like themselves as they were living or is it like some weird dementia version of that that person who's gonna say some weird scary shit that i gotta process so that depends what your level of communication is and right and there are people who have powers where they can really communicate beyond what the average person can Mm -hmm. Right. I am not, to my knowledge, one of those people. And I'm certainly not a guide or a teacher or, you know, I'm still relatively new to, you know, ancestral veneration myself. But as I understand it, when you light a candle and you make an offering of water, food, you know, maybe some of their something that reminds you of them. Maybe if these are people that, you know, and, and you have to have you should have a separate also for your relatives from your friends. You know, you can do something for friends and other people you admire, too. But for your family, mm. you want to have a place where it's like, here's Big Mama. Here's Granddaddy. You know, like, here's my cousin who passed away. Like, you don't talk the same that. shit with your with your grandma that you talk with your your ghost homies. Exactly. Is what you're saying. Exactly. I got you. That would be different, you know, and like. <laughs> You know, you can go to that space. I go twice a day. Some people go a few times a week. Some people go as they feel compelled to do so, you know, and you can talk to them. You know, I kind of talk to them as a group, 
You know, I just say I'm thankful that they're a part of my life, that they care for me, that I'm I'm part of this family that I come from, you know, and that, that I hope they're well and that I hope they accept my offering. You know, it's usually a plate of whatever food. I, I don't eat breakfast, but I make them breakfast. But like I when I eat dinner at night, I set out a plate for food for them. Like if I Damn. don't cook dinner, if I go to Popeye's, I get two Popeye's chicken sandwiches. <laughs> you know, I put one out for my, you know, my big homies in the sky. And, you know, it in terms of communication, and I won't share everything because it's personal. But like I haven't really openly talked about any of this before. You know, sometimes it's messages, right? Sometimes like there's something you were trying to seek clarity on, you know, maybe the oh. bit you were working on that just figures itself out. And you're like, oh, this is how I end it. You know, mm. for me, it could be something that I'm writing and, you know, or, or just material that I'm, you know, something that I've been noodling on, like an essay just kind of starts and, and spills out of my, you know, brain. And I just got to pull over and put it in my notes app. So it's not that it always happens like, when I'm at the altar, you know what I mean? But just these little things that have been unlocked. I got you. So let me ask you a little bit about this food, because this is, uh, I, oh, I'm dumb. And I'd loved, <laughs> so you put out some Popeyes, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, have you ever seen a, a, a bite taken out of that bad boy? Is no, any- nobody's going to eat the food. Nobody's going to eat the food. And you don't have to do, some people will do a part, like if they're eating a sandwich, they just cut off piece of the sandwich. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I if it's a meal, I usually they, they'll usually get a smaller portion than what I feed us. But sometimes it's kind of like, you know, I'm going to give you the big piece of chicken. I got a four piece and I'm putting the big piece of chicken out. And to me, it's just this kind of like sign of respect and acknowledgement. You know, also, um, it's it it sounds similar to like uh, in the Bible when you like uh, cut a goat, like you, you you chop a goat head off and you mm-hmm. go like, yeah, this goat's for you, God. And then the other goat is for us and we eat that goat. But this yes, goat, essentially, yeah. yeah, like we, we don't eat this one. You and know? <laughs> so you can do that with Popeye's. I didn't know yeah. that. I do it with if I have a milkshake or a Starbucks or something, I don't finish it. You know what I mean? Like I say, if I don't pour some out, usually if I have a alcohol a spirit drink i usually pour some out you know but if i'm out in public i can't always pour my drink out so i just leave some you know okay i got you so let me ask you this is this a practice that you grew up with in like your childhood home or is this something you then i know you said you you've really gotten into it later in life but like is that something that that you created for yourself or were you being taught that by by your parents by the people before you whatever no, I didn't get any of this growing up. Interestingly enough, my father practices or practiced a religious tradition that involves some of these kind of rituals, but we were kind of allowed to make our own decisions. I didn't live in the house with him and we were all kind of like allowed to make our own decisions about like how we wanted to uh, engage spirituality. So I explored a few things, but no, this is something I discovered quite recently in the past two years. And what motivated that transition into welcoming spirits in this way? Because, it, you know, like you said, we live in a in a society that teaches us that ghosts are scary. And so for me, as a person who treats them like some scary motherfuckers, I think I would feel hesitant to start to treat ghosts differently. So was there something in your life beyond, I know you said you you listened to that podcast, but like, is there anything that prompted you deciding like, yo, I'm not going to be scared of the, them anymore. I'm going to welcome them in a different way. I was never scared of ghosts. You know, like I hadn't thought, like I, I kind of always thought 
to what extent I thought about it, that if people were communicating with me, it was usually in my best interest. You know what I mean? Mm. Like I hadn't crossed anybody. So like nobody should be coming back mad at me. You know what I mean? Like if anybody's, if somebody's on the other side and if they've got, of all the people in the world they have access to, they're trying to talk to me. They're probably trying to have a back, you know? But like, I can't remember the inciting moment. I just remember that, that I noticed and I was living in Brooklyn at the time where I first started really kind of noodling around this stuff. But I, I noticed that a lot of the women around me were doing these things, mm. women I really admired, and that they would talk about, you know, their ancestors. And they were talking about their ancestors in a way that I wasn't. Because when I talked about my ancestors, I might as well have been talking about like Malcolm X and Harry and Tub. You know what I mean? Like we would say ancestors or, you know, if I was at some, at an event or a dinner where people were pouring libations for their, you know, I I was thinking of those people like more so than I was my own family. And, you know, it kind of started me doing some just kind of thinking about how I was disconnected from most of my, you know, my, the, the people, when you think of your, your folks, like your grandparents, you know, like how I was, yeah. you know, mine passed, most of mine passed away when I was pretty young. So I didn't get to know them, you know? And so we didn't really have a relationship and how I had some resentment about some things that happened before I was born and just some stuff I needed to work through. And so it kind of sent me on a journey of thinking about them. And over time, you know, I became aware of altar building and the idea of like trying to actually communicate with them. And so, you know, I I picked up some books, listened to some podcasts and some Instagram streams. And, you know, again, like I'm not an expert, but, you know, I would say that like my ancestors are my religion at this point, you know, this kind of what my spiritual practice like primarily is. And I feel very good about it. You know, I I, I talk to them and then I pray. And I just, I've never prayed twice a day in my life. You know, like I've just never been that consistent spiritually. And this is just, I don't know. I just feel like my life has been going well. Like things have been good. You know, there've been, it's its a pandemic. Like I'm, I'm suffering like everybody else. I've definitely had some <laughs> tough times the past few years, but you know what I mean? Like in general, yeah. just like my ability to deal with it has been improved. Like you hit your own stride in sort of like accepting of, I guess, uh, these new rituals in your life. For sure. It's fascinating to me because I I, I think it, the way you're articulating this, I've never thought of, but I do think that is something really important in sort of taking ancestors as a word from like this generic space of like the, you know, the people we find in a in a high school textbook to mm-hmm. people that are literally people who were connected to what becomes your day to day, the right. experiences that are right in front of you. And I I would argue there's probably a level of like intentionality, right? That like for black people, especially we are trained to not see our, our own people as valuable and just to be like, well, you know, these big hyperbolic extreme names, those are the ones you should, you should look right. up to, but your grandma ain't shit. And you ain't got to ever think about her as like a valuable human on the planet, whatever. Right. And it's like Malcolm X is not the reason you're alive. No, he didn't give a fuck. Like, (laughs) that was not his walk. I didn't say that. But you know what I mean? Like, your your grandparents met and and made a series of decisions that led to, your you know, one of your parents being here. And and that led to you being here. And, like, that alone is something to honor. And, like, you can have a complicated relationship with these people. You know, for some, I'm fortunate that I don't have abuse or, or trauma related to any of my ancestors. You know what I mean? That I know of. Or, or anything like that. But I know that 
but you know, there are people who do, you know what I mean? And yeah. you have to work through that. And what I've heard about it, and again, I'm not the expert, is that, you know, the people who may have harmed you on this side might be the ones working the hardest to help you out on the other side. You know, perhaps the grandparent who was very miserly and unkind, you know, becomes the generous, caring, you know, figure on the other side. But the the one thing I want to make sure I connected is like the music you played or the um, little Hotep soundbite thing that our ancestors who were enslaved, you know, came with these practices and were... Mm -hmm prohibited from practicing openly, you know what I mean? And so they began to, depending on where they were located, hide their religious practices and their ways of showing reverence to ancestors and staying connected to them in other things. In certain parts of the world, that was Africans hiding their spiritual practices in Catholicism, right? So, which is why if you go to certain parts of New York and you see all these, you know, Black Spanish-speaking people, you know, with Catholic you know, all around and they're not Catholic. You know what I mean? It's really, really fascinating. Like we've always figured out ways to do what we've always done. And, you know, from every history of Africa that I've, I've come across, like something we've always done has been talking to our ancestors. So I think it's just a great opportunity that African-Americans have that most of us have been scared out of participating in or just have never heard somebody talk about it like this before. Yeah. And I, I think you, you made a really interesting point that that I think uh, helps to sort of ease someone into this experience, or at least considering an experience like this, which is the fact that like your grandparents and you may have a complicated relationship or your ancestors and you Mm -hmm. may, may have a complicated relationship and that's okay. I think ghosts for, for the average consumer are, are sort of treated as like these scary entities because they themselves are just bad people or complicated people or people that still needed to solve a problem Mm -hmm. that got left behind. And in a lot of ways, the human experience is that. So there is no good ghost and bad ghost. It's just complicated individuals who can either lift you up or help you answer questions that maybe you you couldn't answer yourself or help you find free parking wherever that can exist. But one way or the other are there for for resolve more than adding conflict as you're you're sort of putting it, I think. Yeah, we just you know, we don't. And that's not to say that, you know, there aren't spirits that may have bad intentions, but like that's not our definitive history of engaging with ghosts, you know, like as a people right. for us engaging with ghosts means talking to our dead and and speaking to them with respect. So just think about how Black people do funerals. You know what I mean? Like, just that there's a level of performance for a lot of them. You know, the ritual of the repast and kind of like who cooks and what they cook or, or, you know, just the amount of time that we spend together, I think, you know, on those occasions is, is, and, and how it's spent is on some level, I think, a nod to how we used to funeralize our dead. You know what Mm. I mean? I think the thing that was missing is that for a lot of people, the communication or the conversation stops there. 
you know, but, but, but I've always throughout my life heard people talk about, you know, it may just be posting an Instagram picture and they're writing it to the dead homie. You know what I mean? Right. Or people talking about, you know, sometimes I feel my mother's presence and I just talk to her, you know, like, I think a lot of people are engaging in their day-to-day life without calling it anything in particular. Do you think that the hesitancy to call it something in particular or to to directly align it with what you're describing with like an altar and sort of like this active effort to place food in front of the altar towards your your ancestors is connected to black people's relationship with religion in this country that like you know we we got a heavy hand of uh christianity mm-hmm. like slapped on top of us do you think that that is in any way an obstruction to what we're we're moving towards in your your description of ghosts. Absolutely. And there are people far smarter than me who can really make the connection between what goes down in in you know a lot of our average black churches and some of our traditional stuff and how there's a through line. You know what I mean? Like how it's not all brand new and and native to America. It some of this is our traditional spiritual practice. It's just showing up with this other religion that we've been, you know, introduced to. But like, yeah, I mean, there's a deep fear of African spirituality and Africans that lives in a mm-hmm. whole lot of African-American people. And, a, a, you know, fear of I mean, we've been made to feel inferior and that inferiority complex is not limited to like what we think of African-Americans on some level. It's what we think of who we were before we got here, you know, right. like not thinking of us as industry. I mean, there are some people that only can think of us as kings and queens before, you know, slavery. <laughs> and then there are people that can't think of us as, as as having a society and having rituals and things that matter, you know, that just kind of thinks of us as these, our, our ancestors as these folks that were just kind of there until they were uprooted, you know, but they, they don't have any real imagination or or curiosity around who they were before. But like, also as a means of survival, you know what I mean? Like on the plantation, you had to hide these things. And so for some people, the hiding was, how do I get creative and and figure out a way to stay true to myself? And for others, it was, how do I, you know, assimilate into something that, you know, is safer and easier for me to deal with? You know, how do I survive my circumstances? Which I think connects really nicely back to what you were saying about like, the this adopting of like Catholic candles for non-Catholic, not services, but experiences. It's mm-hmm. just we are using what is placed in front of us to express ourselves however we can. And it doesn't necessarily matter if this is the right equipment for the job. The job is just getting done however we need it to get done. That's essentially the story of our lives as Black people, right? Like, we don't always have the quote-unquote right equipment, but somehow we have to figure out how to get through, and that's what we've done, you know? And a big part of the reason that we've gotten through is our relationship to religion, both our traditional religion and our relationship to Christianity, but it's also, in some ways, held us back because there are things that we don't challenge and things that we don't interrogate or, you know, attitudes that are incredibly detrimental that are funneled through the church that, you know, are a lot of our people are susceptible to. It, it, it's tricky. Yeah. White Jesus, uh, he ain't he ain't done the best for us, I think. There no. are times where, he, no. hey, I love white Jesus, but he's not always the best. He, there, There's a bunch of hurt that comes along with at least the the representation of him. For sure. There's, there's the hurt of the representation. There's the way that 
Black queer people have been made to hide, you know, in the music ministry, right? Hide in, in the dance ministry, hide, you know, with their little friends and, mm-hmm. and you know, at, at gatherings. There's the ways that Black women, you know, a lot of Black women are in these deeply emotional and on some level, unhealthy relationships with their pastors. You know what I mean? Who becomes the man of the household, even though he's not the man of the household and they're tithing money that they don't have and making sure that he's getting a new Cadillac or his mortgage paid off for his anniversary, but they're struggling to make ends meet. And also, you know, contorting to some ideas about gender that, that don't really work necessarily for us, but that have been funneled to us through religion, you know? Yeah. Let me ask you this last question before we go to break. You are, you are a mother, and I'm curious to know how this newer practice in your life now relates uh, with your daughter. Is this something that you are teaching her as well? Are you at all worried that she's going to like bring this up at school and then people are going to be like, get your weird ass out of here with <laughs> the, the, the ancestors and the altars and all that? Is this is this something you're worried about? Or are you like, hell yeah, this is exciting. Let's dig in. You know what? I thought, hell yeah, this is exciting. Let's dig in. And I brought her into it, you know, after not very long. You know, I have told her that the altar is among a number of things that happen in our household that might be different than what other people do in their households. And so our household business is our business. So you don't need to tell anybody everything we eat, what we, (laughs) what I put out and for whom, who comes through here, like... You know, I I think the traditional the the tradition of a black mama's business is her business is yeah. something that I have managed to indoctrinate into her. That's very smart. You stack tradition on tradition, and it sort of yes. protects the tradition from being damaging for both you and her as exactly. she's, as she's navigating the world as a young person. Exactly. Hell yeah. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with more Jamila Lemieux and more My Mama Told Me. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia and Yellow, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. 
There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. And we are back. Yep, yep, we're back. We're back. We're still here with more Jamila Lemieux. More My Mama Told Me. We're still talking about the possibility that ghosts do, in fact, exist and that black people can see them. Again, I was I was bamboozled. Uh, with this episode, I, I was presented this as if Jamila believed this or at least considered this. And it turns out this was just a character study. This was just her chance to make me feel shame at uh, <laughs> at, at presenting this very dumb idea in the first place. Do you feel like and this is, I, I guess, maybe a good question to lead us into some of the research that I did. Do you feel like in relation to this this con this this conversation around the ancestral uh, plane around these these ancestors that you're experiencing things with? Do you feel like they've ever presented themselves in an actual like physical form? Have you seen one of your ancestors before? No, I, I have not. Are you at all concerned that that might happen and that changes your relationship with them? It might change the relationship. I'm not concerned about it. You know, that's that's something I, I, I worry over. Okay. You're like, if it happens, we'll figure it out then. Figure but it out for then. Now, it's just not a thing that's on my mind. It's not like, what if they walk through? I'm like, nobody's going to bite the sandwich, you know, and just trying to have a prayer See, that, that would be the part that fucks me up is is <laughs> i i could not handle somebody biting the sandwich and still well, i don't think i can handle that either but it's not gonna have i feel confident the sandwich won't be bitten unless my child decides to violate what i've explicitly instructed her which is that we don't eat the altar food don't you dare eat that sandwich all right well fair enough you have much more faith than i do that uh <laughs> that people are going to be reasonable about not eating those sandwiches Let's dig into some of this research, because I think some of this might I, I don't know what it does anymore, actually, because I, I think you've, you've spoken so eloquently about some of like uh, what you consider to be ghosts. But I'd be curious to hear what you think about what the standard beliefs of ghosts are sort of being communicated as through like, I guess, research and science, if we want to call some of this that. So a study from this company, YouGov, shows that 41% of Americans believe in ghosts and only 20% 
of those people actually claim to have seen a ghost. So almost half of us think ghosts are real. Only about 20 percent of us actually feel like we've we've encountered some sort of uh, paranormal spirit. That's interesting. I mean, I'm not surprised at those numbers. You know, I, I I also think like, I don't know, like we're obviously from something very vast and complicated, right? Like, so the idea that it just ends at death, it, it's easy to believe otherwise because like, what a just fascinating thing that the world is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, we don't know what the other side looks like. So I think why not believe in something else? I mean, we could be, I could be completely wrong. I could just die and that's the end. But like, I, I feel good, you know, thinking otherwise, like it it, yeah. it feels nice. It feels like you're a part of something. So I, I don't really see the harm in, you know, people just kind of blindly, you know, the, the majority of us who have not seen a ghost believing that there is some sort of spiritual matter. Yeah. What's especially fascinating if, in this, um, this sort of like research study that they did is that 41% of Americans believe that ghosts exist, but 43% of Americans believe that demons exist. The number actually like spikes a little bit when you start putting this in a different context. And I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on why you think that might be. Why are we more, and keep in mind, they only 11% of those people actually think they've seen a demon or encountered a demon, but they're much more faithful, much more. They're more faithful regarding demons than they are regarding ghosts. Why is that? I think it's because of the the desire to believe that there's some evil force responsible for some of the things that happen in the world, as opposed to recognizing the evil of human beings, you know? Mm. So like the idea that a devil figure is responsible for our problems as opposed to like, no, Stu's an asshole and he shot up at school, you know? Right. Everybody looked the other way. <laughs> like he was an asshole for a very long time, you know? Yeah, it's like Beelzebub didn't get him. That's yeah. just, that's him. That's been him the whole time. He always was, you know? <laughs> and so like, if spirits come from humans or if spirits, you know, become humans, I guess, depending on how you look at that process. But like, ultimately, I can't imagine that they're all good. You know, like, I don't believe mm -hmm. that like just because somebody's dead, like now, you know, they're they're on the winning team and they just want everybody to live right. I think that's an ideal outcome for most people. And, and, and I think that perhaps that might be the outcome for most people that they're trying to do something, you know, like that, that you get to go in the good direction when you're done. But, you know, I also would suspect that a lot of the people who said they've seen a demon, like I would be dying to know the percentage of them that were like talking about their like ex-spouse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, well, I've seen a demon. I'll show you a demon. Pull up Facebook. You know, like. I, the bitch live on Third Street. Right. Goddamn demon. <laughs> yeah, I, I do think these terms, right, they're so vast when you when you really break them down a demon a ghost whatever it is that it it has the potential for me to just apply it as i see fit or or to put it on someone or something that may not in fact be that but in my life in my su very subjective experience they represented something frustrating or sad or evil as it were enough that I was like, that thing is ungodly. That thing is is uh, undead or whatever it is that, that sort of motivates you calling someone 
a demon or something demonic. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, it's good to make the distinction between dead and evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything that's dead is not Everything's evil. Not dead. That's, you don't that's just become fair. the bad guy because you're, you know, you're dead. But it's something you said earlier, like there are so many movies, like even or Casper, you know, like the dead wants to be still here. And so everything that they're doing is motivated by that. But like, as I would imagine it, and, and the dead are aware of their circumstances and that they are not, you know, up for renewal. Like that's some movie stuff, you know, where it's like, well, if you do this, right. that, and the third, you can go back and, and, and be alive again. So like, they're not trying to come back. They're not trying to take over your body. They're not trying to take over your life, you know, because they can't. Yeah, and we've had this conversation a few times on the podcast regarding like aliens, right? That there's like this weird instinct on the part of human beings to presume that aliens have human motivations, Mm -hmm. right? And it the same I think applies for for spirits. Mm -hmm. There's no reason that a spirit that has made it past this mortal plane to show back up and be like still desiring fucking sneakers and, right. and bodega sandwiches right. or whatever it is. Right, like, oh, I've seen the other side. Now I want to go to the DMV. I know all the mysteries yeah. of the universe. <laughs> I want to get on the train, <laughs> sit next to somebody who smells bad. No, they got better shit to do, I think. I hope. I hope. And if they don't, goddamn, that's sad. That uh, That's that's where we stop. If that's the case. Let me come back then. Yeah, I'm gonna come okay. back. I'm gonna come back cool as fuck if uh, this is as good as it is. I, I think I'll have it all figured out once I die. So, the other thing that I think actually might be very helpful in our conversation around like the ancestors and spirituality is I wanted to I the the question that sort of kept popping up because there were all these statistics about who believes in ghosts. Republicans apparently believe much more commonly than Democrats. Women tend to believe in fact four year de- women with four year degrees are sort of like the the biggest advocates of ghosts existing, I guess, in the country. Mm-hmm. But then education in almost an opposite direction says that the more educated you are, you tend to believe less, right? Mm -hmm. There's all these statistics, but the question that kept popping up in my head is why do we believe in ghosts in the first place? Like what is the motivation behind that? And one of the main things that seemed to keep popping up was this idea that it is the human mind trying to make sense of things that we can't explain that like, there's a bunch of shit in the universe that that doesn't make sense to us. And the best thing we can do is try to add logic to the unexplained. And sometimes the easiest way to do that is to call it a spirit or a ghost or a, an ancestor, whatever it is. Absolutely. I mean, so much of, of, of what we say and think is us trying to make sense of our circumstances and the world around us, you know? And again, like... Yeah. Especially because the way, you know, the bad ghost or the demon idea is is used, I think, looking for excuses to explain things as opposed to really getting to the core of what happened and and, and who is what, something that a lot of people are just prone to do. And that's, again, not disparaging the presence of spirits, but I think that the reasons that people believe in in, in ghosts are not always connected to what I believe, you know, continual spirit presence to be. Right. That we all sort of find our own motivations, good and bad, for our belief. And some of those motivations are just uh, making patterns. And some of them are like 
I am seeking a way to to sort of like feel good and feel present in the world. And some of that comes through talking to these ancestors. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that that they talked about in one of the articles I read is this idea of creating logical patterns, right? Like there's this this term that they used, uh, parano- paranolia. Is that what how you say it? I don't know. I'm not a learned man, but it basically explains that like the human brain has this tendency when we see blurred images or when we hear like weird muffled sounds to want to add human words or images mm. to that to make sense of it. So it sort of explains like why when we when they have those haunted house shows, right? Mm-hmm. And they walk through the haunted house and you hear a weird sound and they go, did that, that ghost just say, uh, suck my dick? And then you they play it back and you're like, you did say suck my dick. Mm. It's because of how easily suggestible our brains are when it comes to creating those those rhythms and patterns when it comes to these sounds. That's really interesting. Yeah. It made me feel like, in a way, the suggestion of this existence doesn't, it doesn't eliminate the possibility of these sounds coming from a source that we didn't expect them to, but it does tell you that we decide what we can receive from it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That like, if somebody decides to tell me that the ghost is mad at me, I will interpret the ghost as being mad at me. Whereas if I just listen to the sound on my own, maybe I could hear something more peaceful or friendly inside of that ghost noise. Wow. <laughs> <All right. laughs> That's deep. I ain't got none. <laughs> Hell yeah. So the other thing that I thought was really interesting in some of this research was like the idea of people summoning spirits. And I think this connects a little bit to what you were talking about in terms of summoning spirits as a means of coping with trauma, Mm -hmm. especially like the pain of losing a loved one. And you sort of talked about that earlier with like people writing messages on like Instagram, Facebook, whatever, saying like, we miss you. We've been thinking about you. Remember when this happened, all of that. And that being, while we see that's a public connection that we're seeing, they suggest that some of the reasons that people claim to see a ghost in their home is sort of a more physical, I guess, outpouring of that exact same feeling. That makes sense. You know, and again, back to the idea of us trying to cope with the set of circumstances around us, it would make sense that as a response to trauma, you know, the the way that we're engaging with that idea is oftentimes one that's designed to bring us comfort. Yeah. And interesting, sort of in a nice way, in terms of the percentage of people who who claim to see ghosts, 91% of them, and this surprised me, 91% of the people who said that they had a ghostly encounter said that that encounter had at least one upside to it, such as like a sense of connecting to others. So like they're seeing more often than not, the people who are seeing ghosts are not having a bad time afterwards. Yeah. And you know, I'd be curious. I wonder how many of those like I saw a ghost are literally like I saw something that looked like a ghost or a figure or, you know, like I stumbled across a copy of my father's high school yearbook in the middle of the living room. You know what I mean? And like, it felt like he was there or some shit. Meaning that like, 
you didn't actually see your father, but it was just you saw this picture and you had a feeling as if your father was there because of like the feelings that came up in looking through the book? Something like that. Or like, you know, maybe feeling like a picture fell off the wall and it was your grandmother trying to tell you something, you know, mm. like that kind of like encounter. I wonder how many of those would be counted among the like, you know, I saw ghost moments. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, again, it sort of goes nicely back to that idea of like patterns, right? Mm-hmm. That like, if if I am having an emotional day or if I am thinking about a person that I'm missing and then something big enough happens around me or small mm-hmm. enough, and that might be enough for me to feel like that was them trying to communicate to me. When in fact, I don't know if it's them trying to communicate to me, but the communication, it maybe doesn't matter. Maybe it's just the feeling, feeling. that, that yeah. it, it brings it legitimacy. I think so. Yeah, it's kind of nice in that way where this doesn't have to be scary or traumatic if you don't want it to be. And if you do, I don't know, you're a sick fuck. Enjoy yourself. (laughs) There's also a fair amount of evidence, it seems like, of people blaming ghosts. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. There are lots of people who claim that that some of these ghost sightings might be connected to mental illness. Early schizophrenia, unchecked sleep paralysis, overuse of LSD are all things that they're saying essentially can lead a person to feel like they're having a paranormal experience when in fact it's, it's just all in their head. People hallucinate. <laughs> but does that make it real does that make it less like where where do you think that 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 falls in terms of its legitimacy on the hallucination scale like it's you know i mean i think the legitimacy will be for them like to what ability are they able to reckon or 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 to parse like i thought i saw something because i had a bad trip you know or because i was off my meds versus no, I know for a fact that I had this encounter. And that's not to say that people that are, you know, dealing with a psychological emergency or a, a drug dependency can't have a legitimate encounter too. But, you know, I think we definitely want to be careful between, you know, lining up somebody maybe having a, a passing moment with a spirit and somebody, you know, thinking that the wall is talking to them because they're on LSD. Okay, so so if I'm understanding you correctly, then it that would mean that if it feels real to me, it is real. And the justification for that afterwards doesn't that's a, a thing that that needs to be parsed out personally. It isn't necessarily something for us to decide for them. Not that it's real, but that it's a valid experience that you had, you know, like during this period of time, you felt like the toaster was talking to you. So like, what kind of lasting impact does that have on you? Do you understand now that it didn't really talk to you? Do you, are you able to use the toaster anymore? Is it like off limits now? We got to get it out the house. (laughs) I think it's a thing to be dealt with as opposed to like a, a truth to be accepted. I got you. Yeah. Okay. There's a subjective nature to this, but that doesn't mean that you didn't objectively have an experience. Right. The experience is real, even if the the byproduct of that experience is something that we should uh, we should have more conversations about, if nothing else. Right. Right. That's fair. There is also sort of like what they call paranormal uh, side effects that happen in our brain 
like, for example, there was this scientist, this this dude who basically thought that he, like, while working really late at night in a lab, thought that he could hear a ghost or see a ghost moving next to him. And he was a super skeptic, hated the idea of of sort of paranormal activity being a real thing. And he decided to sort of like try to dig through to see if he can make sense of of what this thing was and ended up finding out that there was a fan nearby him that was basically spinning at a frequency, something they called the fear frequency, which was like 18.9 hertz that was spinning at such a slow pattern he couldn't pick it up. The human ear isn't able to pick up stuff below 20 hertz, but it was enough for our brain to start to try to make sense of things, thus creating the illusion of ghostly sounds and ghostly movement. Mm. And so he says that that may be the justification for a lot of our ghostly experiences is the stuff around us moving in a way or or making noises in a way that aren't perceptible to our human ears and eyes, but are in fact happening in the real world independent of any spiritual bodies. You did a lot of research. <laughs> yeah, I just read stuff and then repeat it back. I don't know. Do you think that the fear frequency in any way bumps against any of your your beliefs, the stuff that you've been practicing with your your altar and ancestral sort of like uh, prayers and whatnot? I don't think so. Just because fear is just completely devoid, like just not present in that relationship. Like I just don't have any fear around the practice. I got you. So it's, it, it doesn't matter... Because I think the fear frequency, even the language around it, does suggest that ghosts or whatever we're seeing, hearing, blah, 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 is scary. And to your point, we shouldn't be or you're not treating this as a scary thing. So it doesn't really matter. Right. That's fair. Okay, this is the last thing that I'll bring up to you before we go to break. The one thing that sort of like really started to ring out to me in terms of this conversation around like all of these these illusions of the mind, be it be it mental illness, be it the fear frequency, all of these things are the the idea that they are in some ways terms and and sort of like connotations, I guess, that are created by white people that white people sort of like create the language and logic around these things. And so our understanding of ghosts, and I think you've spoken to this pretty well so far, it seems like our understanding of ghosts is largely limited to what white people want us to understand ghosts to be in a lot of ways. That it's so long as like the media and the things that we read are connected to fear and to sort of like ghosts being people in in fucking, you know, colonial outfits, then we are always going to understand them as like this scary, dangerous thing and not, as you said, something a little more peaceful or uh, helpful in your life. Yes. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> yes. Like, I, I don't really even have much to ask to that. I just said, like, there's been, I think, in recent years of movement of people, you know, I say young people in the broadest sense, because I'm still including myself, but, you know, millennials on down, 
that have been exploring spirituality and who have been tapping into some of the things that people who came before us did. And, you know, I think that we'll continue to hear more about folks doing that, you know, and you'll see more of an influence of, of this sort of thinking in pop culture with Black folks here and there. And hopefully that'll influence some, you know, a reconsideration of, of what white folks have told us about ghosts and about our dead. Yeah, we can we can reconsider the the white stories. We can make this a new if we if we all built altars in our in our homes. Is it like in the front of your house or is this like in a private, quieter spot? It's in my living room. There's a divider, a row of a, a screen, so it's like it's kind of obscured, you know. And sometimes, if I'm going to have people in the house, I don't really want, you know, all eyes on my stuff. I can close it up. Hell yeah! So you don't have to make this a public experience, but we can all build altars and 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 privately start to break some of these uh, these white teachings, as it were. Absolutely. Okay, we're going to take one more break. We'll be back with more Jamila Lemieux and more My Mama Told Me. Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Stadsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Jean Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with Hacks writer and actor Pat Regan, on how their improv experience helped them when shooting scenes and what it was like writing scripts for specific actors. You'll also hear from crew members like the costume designers on what it was like creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Hear stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and more. Watch Hacks streaming exclusively on Max and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. And we are back (laughs) 
Yeah, we're back here with more Jamila Lemieux. More My Mama Told Me. We're still talking about ghosts, the ancestral plane, and uh, breaking white habits, I guess. Breaking our, our white beliefs out in the world. Let's play a quick game. We, we have one last game that we love to play on the podcast. This is a new game. It's a brand new game that I cooked up special for this episode. It's called I'm Dreaming of a White Spirit. I'm dreaming of a white spirit. It's a it's a fun game where Jamila, I am going to introduce to you a few stories of white celebrities because I tried to look up black celebrities who said that they saw ghosts and truly there were very few mm. who who would even talk about it. I think Rihanna at one point had like a quote where she was like, oh, I don't eat at that restaurant no more. I get eerie vibes there. But like that was kind of the extent of it. So there aren't a lot of like ghost stories from famous black people, but we know better. Well, yeah, you probably can't afford to, to talk too much in the media about whatever you're you're experiencing in your home. But there are lots of white celebrities who are like, fuck it, I'll tell you about it. So I just would love to read you some of these stories and, and get your thoughts on them. Hell yeah. So let's let's start with a fun one. This is a nice one. Let's start with my boy, Matthew McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey in 2009, he shared a story that his his home was haunted by a spirit named Madame Blue. He says, I was not even under the influence and she was there. She wasn't that happy. It didn't seem like she was going to be much fun to hang around or have in my house. So I went ahead and stood my ground. I opened the door and I said, you can move around all you want, but I'm not going anywhere. For weeks, everyone that came to the house said the same thing, that someone's down the hall. There's somebody down in that hall. He he says that Madame Blue basically uh, eventually stopped messing with him and eventually let him and his guests uh, just enjoy their home. Your thoughts? Just like a white man to yell at the ghost. That's his first thought. I'm going <laughs> to yell at it. I'm going to tell her to stop. I moved into her house. She's been here. Who knows how long she could have been. This could have been her land. And here you come. I'm a yell at her. If her name is Madame Blue, she's been there a long time. She's, she's been there a while. She's definitely, that's her territory. And Matthew McConaughey said, no, I'm not leaving. And apparently Madame Blue gave up. Maybe she realized he was a decent enough dude, minus the yelling at her part. Oh, that she was like, I don't know. He's got his shirt off. He seems okay. Or he might have just legitimately gotten on her nerves. Like, he seems like he'd be pretty chatty when he smokes. And I could see, like, Madame Blue being like, okay, well, nothing's (laughs) perfect. Matthew McConaughey has uh, trap you in a corner vibes. You know what I mean? Very much so. And as a ghost, you don't want to be trapped in a corner. You're already, you got enough going on. You got enough going on. So, okay, here's a here's another fun one. Jenna Bush Hager, you know, the the daughter of George Bush. Uh, <laughs> she claims that during her time in the White House that she had uh, a number of mysterious spirits sort of interact with her. She said, I heard ghosts. I was asleep. There was a fireplace in my room. And all of a sudden I heard 1920s music coming out. I could feel it. I freaked out and ran into my sister's room. She was like, please go back to sleep. This is ridiculous. Could have been some of those slaves that built the White House. Could have been some of them dead Iraqis (laughs) that were like slaughtered (laughs) because of her daddy's stupid war. Some of the U.S. soldiers that were killed because of her daddy's stupid war. I'm sure there were a lot of 
spirits that are displeased with the Bush family. Yeah, and it makes me wonder how many of these these unhappy spirits are more in your brain that like you know what your daddy did and maybe that's just living in in your spirit mm. and you are articulating it in a in an odd way around your home. That is a way to look at it. I think it's a very good way to look at it. Okay, here's here's another one. We'll do two more. This is Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato, they said that uh they were haunted by a bad spirit. Not by a bad spirit, excuse me, but by a little girl. I think her name is Emily. I've been I've had a medium come over and, and ghost hunters, and they both told me the same name, Emily. There were so many times that I saw her when I was growing up, Lovato wrote. I believe that everyone can tune into that part of their mind. I think I have a really strong connection to the afterlife. When I walk into the room, I can tell if something has happened there or not, or if a hotel is haunted. I'll buy it. Okay. I'll buy it. You think? You think Demi Lovato's connected like that? You know, I hope they're good enough to call two sets of Ghostbusters that, like, don't communicate with each other. Like, okay, bet the name is Emily. You know what I mean? Like, But (laughs) if two different entities that do not know each other, have no prior relationship, both came up with the name Emily, it's kind of hard not to think there's something to that. Fair enough. Okay, last one. My boy Keanu Reeves said that he's he's had ghostly experiences. Reeves claims that he saw a ghost as a child living in New York City. I'm probably like six, seven years old. He said we'd come from Australia, a nanny in the bedroom. My sister is asleep. She's sitting over there. I'm hanging out. There was a doorway. And all of a sudden, this jacket comes waving through the door, this empty jacket. There's no body. There's no legs. It's just there. And then it disappears, he explains. He said, I was a little kid and I thought, okay, that's interesting. And I looked over at the nanny and she was making this terrified face. And I'm like, oh, wow. So that was real. It's possible. You got enough money to have a nanny. You probably, your family probably did some bad stuff. So maybe it's the same as like the bushes, just on a smaller level. You know, there might be a little. Oh, that these <laughs> there's bodies buried in the Reeves bodies basement. Bodies buried in the Reeves basement. So we were just in Australia with our nanny. I'm like, oh, excuse me, sir, Keanu. I did like my favorite part of this is that there he doesn't like go like and then I talked to the nanny and we figured it out together. He's just like, oh, yeah, she's tripping. So it must have been real. And then went to sleep like, yeah, you don't want to help her feel better. Big I'd still be sitting right in that very spot. That would be the mystery of my life that I had to to figure out. Dog, if uh, a moving jacket <laughs> seems so much scarier than <laughs> if it's a person, I can let's talk. We can, we can work, work this out. out. But if it's just a jacket, God, I'm fucked up forever. That's that's about as scary as scary can get. Yep. All right. Well, Jamila, I think we did it. I think I think we nailed this episode. Thank you for doing this. Could you tell the people at home where they could find you and what cool shit you have going on? Yeah, you can find me at jamilalemieux.com to learn more about my work. Um, I'm on social media at Jamila Lemieux. Depending on where this airs, I have a story coming out that I'm like terrified of and people may talk about it. I don't know when you're going to air this, so I can't say what it is. Uh, well, keep up with me on social media. I'm a freelance writer. I have a I've done stuff for the LA Times and Playboy and The Cut. And I've got a big story coming up. And like, I'm waiting for the editor to hit me with like the, okay, here's when it drops. So it's like, I can't even really promote it. But like, you might remember that you heard me on this podcast when you see the story. It might be a little bit of a thing. 
right. Well, keep your keep your eyes and ears peeled for the, that big story and follow Jamila on on all of her shit. And uh, as always, you can follow me at Langston Kerman and please subscribe, do whatever nonsense you're meant to do to podcasts to make people care about them. And yeah, okay, we did it. Bye. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, tenor girl go shopping. Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.